0: Hey everyone, welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus. And today, we explore this concept of glory. Welcome back. My name is Lucas. I'm one of the pastors here at Evangel Church in beautiful Powell River, British Columbia. We're on the sunshine coast of BC, Canada, uh, where it never rains and it's always sunny. No, that's sarcasm. Actually, when I'm recording this, uh, it's foggy outside. It's overcast and we get a lot of rain, but that's okay. It's a beautiful place. And if you haven't visited, we invite you to come anytime. Well, have you ever considered the concept of glory. Uh, Glory is defined, the definition is high renown or honor won by notable achievements. It's often a word that we reserve for those who have sacrificed deeply. Uh, Glory is found in most cases on the other side of pain. You know, the pain of self-sacrifice, the pain of pursuing an end that's bigger than yourself. It's often those whom don't return from war that we attribute great glory to. You know, glory is a moniker reserved for the few because it is the few who endure the pain long enough to attain it. We're about to enter into a moment in the life of Jesus where um, he does both. You know, Jesus is this unique individual in that he is deity he is God and so glory is a part of his personhood it's a part of who he is but also in his humanity he endures pain to attain it as well and in doing so he kind of walks into a, a type of glory that no one else ever has So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 31, John chapter 13. If you need a Bible, would you just visit myevangel.church forward slash Bible? You can pause us here and then catch up with us. But myevangel.church forward slash Bible, and there's a Bible we can get into your hands right now. So let's jump in. Verse 31 of John 13. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. You know, so for a little bit of context here, Judas has just stepped away from the table. Judas has just stepped away to go and betray Jesus. The wheels have been put and set in motion that will lead Jesus into a journey that will take him ultimately to the cross. And Jesus is fully aware of the implications of what's going on here. It's in this moment that he kind of leans into his disciples. You know, they're unaware. They don't fully understand what's going on here. They'll look back in in the future and they'll see this for what it is. But even for us as disciples today, we we can't help but kind of lean into this moment because we know the whole story. We know what happens. We know the timeline. And so Jesus is aware that he has very little time left with his disciples And so he leans into his disciples with like a concentrated summary teaching of everything that he's been leading them in up to this point. And so it'd behoove us to kind of lean into this moment to um, really take stock of what Jesus says here and what he tries to communicate to his disciples. He begins with this, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. You know, in speaking of being glorified, here in this moment, he's he's referring and referencing the cross to come. He, he, He redefines in advance the implications of the cross. You know, Old Testament scripture says, Cursed is the man who hangs upon a tree. But now Jesus speaks of it in terms of glory, In terms of being glorified. You know, the glory is not necessarily in the cross in and of itself. But rather, it's in the motivations of Jesus' heart to be submitted to a path of suffering for the sake of his mission and those that he loves. You know, glory is found on the other side of pain and self-sacrifice. The pinnacle of glory cannot be generated apart from anything less than altruism. You know, self-sacrifice for the sake of others, especially for those who don't deserve it. You know, it's interesting, in in November of every year, much of the world, the Western world, we take time to remember those who fought and who do fight, you you know, within the atrocities of the 20th century and the 21st centuries. And we remember and honour the fallen and, and, and those who engaged in those engagements over time. And it's not a time where we glorify war. It's it's a time when we glorify those who submitted themselves to war. They submitted themselves to the suffering, to the pain, for an ideal that outlived them. You know, glory is found in those things that will outlive you. And Christ declares his glory based not just on his intrinsic worth, not just on his personhood and who he is as deity. Though he is to glory. He is, glorify, he is glory personified. But he also takes these actions. He moves towards the cross. His glory is not defined simply by his deity. Or even by his coming to this world. It's fully realized unlike anyone who has ever lived on his journey to the cross. And in this act... Uh, He will glorify God the Father and himself be glorified. And it's funny because I say it and I've heard it kind of said that we worship God because of of who he is. And and that's true. We worship God because of who he is. He is worthy of our worship. You know, God is an all-powerful creator. You know, the one who just created all things. He deserves our worship just by the very nature of who he is. But if God did nothing for us, It would temper the way in which we worship. It would change the way in which we worship him. You know, a God who who has done nothing for you, a a God who remains, you know, indifferent to our suffering would temper our worship in a way. I've heard people say, you know, if God didn't do anything for me, I would still worship him. And I, I would challenge that. Like, would you? Would you worship him in the same way that you do? Would you worship him in love and adoration the same way? The great mystery and beauty of our God is that we can worship him, both for who he is, but also because of what he's done for us. You know, we speak of his glory because he is glorious, but also because he was glorified through pain and sacrifice. Now is the Son of Man glorified. Now we must lean into this moment as Jesus kind of concentrates his teaching for the disciples. He sums it up further in verse 33. Little children, get a little while I am with you. You will seek me and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know, Jesus, he declares to his disciples what comes next. I must walk this out alone. And we're going to see in the future as we kind of dig into this, uh, the disciples, some of them were having nothing of that. They, they didn't think that that was going to be the case. But we know from the story that that becomes the case. He walks this journey to Golgotha alone. But then he leans into a statement, a new commandment, a point of emphasis and purpose that he speaks over to the disciples. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Notice Jesus, he leaves no room for a self-defined kind of love. He uses the word agape here. This selfless love that seeks the best of others with no strings attached. This is the very definition of altruistic love. But even that can be defined in different ways. You know, so Jesus has the wisdom to kind of solidify the definition of what he means by love. Love one another, notice, just as who? Just as I have loved you. Jesus declares himself the very definition of love. And this is so key because we live in this world of contrary views and we want to call them all valid. And and Jesus has the wisdom to kind of narrow the definition of what he means by love. Consider the context of this moment, this statement. This command is sandwiched between the selfless acts of Jesus, you know, washing the feet of the disciples. And the moment of him hanging on the cross for all of humanity. This, this is sandwiched between the revelation of to Jesus of two betrayals, right? Judas, who betrays him because of greed, and Peter, who will betray him because of fear. Love, true and pure, has a definition, and it's found in the person of Jesus who washed the feet of the betrayer, who washed the feet of the one who would desert him, who washed and, and, and served all of humanity as he hung upon that cross. Now, before we think of love in terms of a lovely sentiment, we, we must consider the cost of it. Uh, William Barclay writes, sometimes we make the mistake Of thinking that love is meant to give us happiness. So in the end, it does. But love may well bring pain and demand a cross. You know, love becomes the crucible that causes us to look more and more like Jesus each day. What were the words of Christ after men had driven nails through his hands and his feet? What were his words upon that cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. To love, as defined as Jesus, is to forgive. Love demands forgiveness. Love demands washing the feet of the betrayer. William Barclay writes, The love which has not learned to forgive cannot do anything else but shrivel and die. When it comes to living in relationship with others, forgiveness becomes a prerequisite to love. But forgiveness means dying to ourselves. It's interesting. um, When I think of this concept of glory, I used to read 2 Corinthians 3.18 kind of with a a sense of uh, super spiritualism. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is in the Spirit. Oh man, that sounds good, doesn't it? Like how many of you have prayed that prayer? Lord, you know, would you take my brother glory to glory? Like I grew up kind of a Pentecostal charismatic tradition. And so when I grew up, I often heard this verse taken out of context. It was kind of pulled out of the passage here in 2 Corinthians. And it was often kind of in this sort of idea of supernatural acts of being used in the spirit. Now, in a way, this glorification of self riding on the coattails of, of the Spirit of God. It was kind of this exciting hype revival culture pursuit. And then this pursuit of glory through the supernatural acts. However, the longer that I do this and live this journey of faith out, the, the more I realize that Jesus is defining glory as the cross. That this self-sacrifice, this idea of enduring the pain of dying for the sake of others in love, both literally and figuratively, metaphorically. The glory has little to do with your ministry output as it's often defined in Pentecostal circles, but rather it's this growth and growing of selfless love as defined in the person of Jesus. The daily struggle of bearing your cross, dying to yourself and following him. So now we must kind of ask the question, (laughs) can we walk in this altruistic selfless kind of love that Jesus talks about and modeled for us? Can we as human beings walk in that love? And can I be honest with you? Um, This side of heaven, I think the answer is complex because I think the answer is yes and no. (laughs) William Barclay makes this argument. He says, even in the noblest human love, there remains some element of self. We so often think, maybe unconsciously, of what we are to get. We think of the happiness we will receive. Or of the loneliness we will suffer if love fails or is denied. So often we are thinking, what will this love do for me? So often at the back of things, it is our happiness that we are seeking. But Jesus never thought of himself. His one desire was to give himself and all he had for those that he loved. You know, through this, though this may be largely true, I don't think it's necessarily exclusively true for the one in Christ Jesus. The one who has been made alive in Christ Jesus. You know, if the idea that we can't have moments of Christ working through us with this altruistic, agape, no strings attached, selfless kind of love, um, I think that actually impedes on some of the beliefs that we carry. I believe that there are moments and seasons where love... The love that we pour out can be founded in the spirit, can be found in the motivations of Christ's heart through us. But we're not required to live this out perfectly and consistently. You know, um, I think that, that, that the, the trajectory of our lives should be one that where we pursue this kind of love, but we always won't hit the mark. Does that make sense? We won't always hit the mark of this kind of altruistic, selfless love. But I believe we can hit the mark in Christ. We can hit the mark. You know, when I think about scripture, did, did the Holy Spirit require perfect people to write the pages of scripture? No, no. He he required that they be submitted to his leading and his inspiration in that moment of writing, Right? Like we know when when we look at those who wrote scripture, we know that they were far from perfect. And yet we have this belief, this theological belief that scripture is authoritative and is authentic and is the word of God. And so there's this belief that in that moment of inspiration, they were writing the very words of the spirit for the rest of humanity. I think love can be the same way. This kind of love that Jesus defines for us, we can walk in this. Maybe not all the time because we are selfish and we are fairly self-centered, but we can overcome that self-centeredness as we bear our cross and walk in the spirit and walk in Christ. So before you get too discouraged, we must consign ourselves to the idea that none of us will be perfect in this kind of love, but that doesn't mean we can't have moments And seasons where the Holy Spirit inspires. And the Holy Spirit brings us through the valleys of pain to walk in that kind of love for others. That selfless, altruistic love. It remains a worthy and attainable pursuit. Now notice the reason for this command. Do you you see this in verse 35? "By, By this all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Francis Schaeffer uh, captures this sentiment so well when he says, a loving community, says Jesus, is the visible authentication of the gospel. Love is the final apologetic. You know, the body of believers that fails to love one another fails in authenticating the validity of the gospel. Either there is power in the glory of Christ, or there isn't, and many make up their minds based not on the evidence of Scripture, but on the lives of the believers. This, this moment in the gospel creates a level of responsibility that carries weight and it can't be taken lightly. And you know, I count myself so blessed that I get to pastor and be a part of a community that that loves so well, but we aren't perfect in it. And it continues to be an ongoing pursuit for us both corporately as a community of faith, but also individually. As we try to love our family, and we try to love one another, and we try to love our community. May the, may, may the love as defined by Jesus going to the cross be the love that he creates in us. This idea of walking into glory to glory, walking through suffering, the suffering of, Of dying to self for the sake of others. That kind of love that washes the feet of the betrayer. That restores relationship with the one who deserted him. As we'll see next week. Of the one who declares after being nailed to a cross... Forgive them. They know not what they do. I believe that God can lead us in this kind of love. And it's a love that doesn't take favorites. It's a love that's for everyone. It's a love that is not reserved for particular people. Now, that's not to say we don't have relationships and deeper Like, No, that's intimacy and that's relationship. And I think, but in terms of broad strokes, the way we see the world around us. We're called to love everyone. Um, there's an interesting story that I heard this week as I was preparing. I was had to take my car for an oil change. And I, so I was going for a walk and listening to a podcast. And I believe it was a typology podcast, uh, Ian Cron. And one of the guests happened to be on the team that was helping host Archbishop Uh, Desmond Tutu when he came to the States and so they were going to this event. It was an event about 500 or so very rich one percenters, you know, very rich people, very influential people and they're raising money and they were kind of casting a vision for a particular project and so Archbishop Desmond Tutu uh, came to this event and of course, it's this posh event, you pull up in your car and there's all these valets lined up in their, in their velvet vests and looking all good. And, and so Desmond Tutu gets out and, and this, this host is telling the story that he was there. He's, he's in this moment. And of course, you know, there's a typical uh, Western world, we very much honor schedules and time. And, and, but Desmond Tutu, he, he proceeded to begin to go down the line of each and every one of the valets. And he began to ask their name and where they're from, asking about their family, asking about you know deeper questions. And what was so interesting for this host that was witnessing this is in that moment, he had all this anxiety growing in him, right? Because he's responsible to get this guest of honor into the one percenters, into the influential and powerful people that were there to see him and meet him and greet him And hear of his vision in his heart. And yet, the the host says, Desmond Tutu took about half an hour to 40 minutes. Outside on the street. Connecting in a very human way. With every single one of these valets. And I love that picture. Because it's a picture of the kind of love Jesus expressed in this world. It didn't matter who you were. If you were a king or a pauper. If you were a high priest or a leper. Jesus loved. In the same measure. In the same way. Without favorites. May we walk in that love. May we know the grace and the power and the strength of God in our weakness. To die to ourselves. To Walk through that kind of suffering of dying to ourselves through acts like forgiving, through acts like reaching out to the marginalized, being uncomfortable. These are the things that lead us to glory. These are the things that lead us from glory to glory to glory, just as Christ was glorified on his journey to the cross, where he ultimately gave up his life for everyone. So, Lord, as we look at and and, and lean into this moment in the gospel of John, this, this, this kind of pertinent, concentrated, summed up moment where Jesus is leaning into his disciples, where some of the most important things that he says, he's pushing in. And leaning into his disciples lord may we lean into this moment may we see love not love in our definition not a self-defined love but love as defined by the person and the ministry of jesus may we see that kind of love grow in our hearts for the world around us lord would you give us grace to walk through that valley that valley of death, the death of ourselves for the sake of looking alive, looking like true life, which is you, Lord. May we look more and more like Jesus each day. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us. It's been such a privilege. And for those of you that are part of our community, but you can't be with us, we miss you so much we just, we think of you, we pray for you, and we pray that you would be encouraged and that this would be life-giving to you. The Spirit is with you. He's leading. He's guiding you. And so I just pray that you would just sense him draw close to you today. And God bless you. Have a great week, everyone.